0: Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. And uh, so I've got five verses that I'm going to talk to you about. So, let's start. It starts from um, verse 19, just wait. In my Bible, on uh, and I've written it on here, The heading is Treasures in Heaven. That's the heading. So do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is, there your heart will be also. So when I read this the other day, Straight away, I thought of the rich young ruler because I remembered that Jesus used the word treasure when he spoke to him. So I, I looked it up and I read it again. And, of course, by all accounts, he's a very fine young man. And he goes to Jesus and he says, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus reminds him about the commandments. And if you go to the next slide... His response to Jesus is, teacher, I have kept all the commandments since I was a kid, basically. I love the next verse. Jesus looked at him and loved him. So Jesus looked like right at him, right inside him and loved him. And what Jesus saw when he looked at him was a bondage. And he said, This one thing you lack. I'd be thrilled if Jesus said to me, there's one thing you lack. <laughs> I'd be like, fantastic. <laughs> is that all? But this is a serious lack, obviously. This lack is hindering this guy moving into his destiny. One thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. When you've done that, you'll be able to follow me. At this, the man's face fell. My face would fall too. I think we would have a collective falling of faces if Jesus said to us, sell everything you have and give it away. He went away sad because he was rich. So this was like obviously the big thing in his life. And I have no doubt at all that he used a lot of his wealth wisely, giving to the poor. But his wealth obviously meant a lot more than just money to him. It was to do with status, with self-worth, with self-esteem, etc. The other story I thought of was about the widow Um, when she gave her everything, but it was a very small amount. And Jesus compared her to the wealthier people who gave. And Jesus said, they gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. And I was kind of sitting there thinking about, and I want to tell you this story. Al and I, as most of you know, have been going to Cambodia for quite a few years now. And the first year we were there, we decided that we would sponsor one of the young women there. Her name's Nari. And we thought, we'll sponsor her, but we need to do a bit of due diligence, be wise stewards of our money, and just kind of check it out a little bit. So we cleared it with the YWAM base leader, who said, like, she would be a fantastic young person to sponsor. So she had very little schooling. She finished... um, I think she'd finished primary school. So we realized it was going to be a long-term sponsorship and it was going to be it was going to cost us quite a bit of money to do this. So we sat down had a conversation with her just to kind of check it all out. Find out where she was at with her finances. So this is what she told us. She had an American woman who was already sponsoring her for $100 a month. went to the base where she lived and that covered her food and lodging. She had $12 left a month. So we're just kind of chatting and asking questions. And I kind of said, how do you manage the $12? And this is what she said. Well, you know, Cheryl, there are a lot of poor people in Cambodia. She said, so I give some money to the church and I give money to the poor people. So, Nari, tell me how much that is. Six dollars. So, she, that leaves her six dollars a month. And right there, that little story tells you something. Al and I gave out of our wealth to sponsor her. Yes, it's expensive. It's gone on for many years now. But we have given out of our wealth. She has given out of her poverty. And the next scripture that's there, and it's in this context that I want to talk to you. So this scripture here, a lot of people could extract that out of context and talk about anything. Because it could refer to anything. But when you look at the context, it's sandwiched in between Jesus talking about money, wealth, finance, treasure... So what he's saying here is we need to have a perspective and we need to have a perception that is based on the kingdom of God. And I'm afraid that our Western culture is really a distorted view of all of that stuff. So when we talk to someone who gives away half their income and really still doesn't have enough to live on, And we look that right in the face and are confronted with that. That's what it is. It's confronting and causes our faces to fall just in case. What if God asked us to do that? I think I'd rather not ask. The rich young ruler, we could call him the stupid young ruler because he asked (laughs) and God told him. So much better, don't ask. But it is confronting our West in our Western culture that kind of those scriptures, those story, that story about Nari. Nari is very confronting for us, people like us. So Jesus looked at the rich young ruler. Sorry. <clears throat> Jesus looked at the rich young ruler and saw that he was in bondage. So the question is, what was he in bondage to? So That's what I'm going to talk about for the rest of the time. So let's have a look at the next scripture. I'm going to spend the rest of the time talking about verse 24. And you think, how can I possibly talk for half an hour on verse 24? You'll see. (laughs) And Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Then straight away, verse 25, he says, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry about money. If anyone in this room can put their hand up and say, I've never had any anxiety or worry about money, you can go straight to be with Jesus <laughs> because you are a saint and not fit for this world. <laughs> because we, we've all had those, and sometimes I know I've been so full of fear about money that i felt sick. This, after verse 25, it goes, I'm sure you all know the scripture, but at some point before we get to the end of um, chapter 6, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and everything you need, your father will give you. And this is the challenge here because he's saying either you trust God or you trust money. One or the other. Interesting, isn't it, that the, um, I think I'm right, the Americans here can tell me, on the American currency, doesn't it say, in God we trust? Well, I mean, if you don't trust God, you trust the money, I suppose. But in God we trust. Yeah. So what I want to do in talking about this, I have to bring in some accuracy into the translation. And there it is, if you have a look at the last line. You cannot serve both God and mammon. And in this scripture you will see What Jesus has done, we see God, God is a God and he's a person. And Jesus has done the same with mammon. He has made, in this context, he has made mammon a God and an entity and a person. And he said you cannot serve both, choose who you will serve. Now, mammon, the reason I have that word there is because it's the correct word. It has an interesting history because mammon is actually a Chaldean word or a Babylonian word. So when the Israeli people were exiled in Babylon, of course they learnt a lot of vernacular there, which was carried through in their language. And what I've read is as as the Chaldean language was carried through... Because they didn't like being in Babylon, the the words they used, the Babylonian words that stayed in their vernacular were words that referred to the dark practices of the occult. So when Jesus says the word mammon to his audience, honestly, it does not just mean money. It's referring to the occult and Jesus is saying it is a spirit. So you can have the spirit of God working and functioning in your life or you can have the spirit of mammon. And um, to be frank with you, I've had a lot of experience with the spirit of mammon and God has done a lot of work in my life of cleansing me from it. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm, I'm a long way from where I was. So as I talk through some of this, I will give you some testimonies. Some are pathetic. Some are funny. Some are sad. But I will tell you, as I go through, just to illustrate some of the things that can happen to us, I'll talk about my own experiences. Um, so... What I want to say is, uh, just, yeah, okay. I've made, two, the next two slides, I've made, I'm going to be proud enough to say, only 90% of my own experience. 10% are not my experience, and I will not say which is not my experience, <laughs> but <laughs> as I read through them, I know that you will identify with some of them, if not most of them. This is not out of a book. This is out of my extraordinary experience. How does the spirit of mammon reveal itself in our own lives? Already covered that one. When we worry, we have fear, anxiety about money. Jealousy and anxiety are the two main emotions when the spirit of mammon is influencing us. And you'll see they come out and out again as we go through this. When we think it's not fair, they have more. When we think they have more, therefore they should, you know, pass a bit my way maybe or they should give, or they should do something else. When we think, I gave to them, therefore they should reciprocate. I gave to them when they were in need, and now I'm in need. Yeah, right, where's it? It's not coming my way right now. When we're reluctant to give, when we refuse to give, even when we're convicted, when we resent someone's wealth, When we resent our own financial status, we have self-pity. When we're ashamed of our financial status. When we cry poor mouth. Let me just stop there. You know, this thing about crying poor mouth, The more I get to understand this, the more I'm convinced that when we say we're poor or we don't have enough or we lack, we're prophesying it into our own lives. Whereas, you know, we know we have lack now and then. But there's a response to that at the moment. I need X, but God is my provider. And he will provide because he's my God and that's his character. Yeah, that's what it is. When we perceive our status is lower due to our lack and vice versa. When what we have or don't have is attached to our self-worth. When we take our identity from our wealth or our lack of it. When we are greedy for more and ungrateful for what we do have. When we wish we had someone else's money. When we think, they don't deserve their money. When we think, if I was rich, I'd be just amazing. (laughs) I'd be so fantastic if I was rich, but I'm not, so I'm not fantastic, right? (laughs) But I could be. So, what I want to say about that list is, you'll see in there, I said a lot of the times, when we think, because what happens, we have thoughts, Sometimes those thinking patterns are strongholds and they always cause emotions. What emotions do they cause? Worry, fear, anxiety, depression, jealousy, cynicism, criticism, anger. I'm sure I've left something out there. Criticism. Judgment on other people and on ourselves. All of this comes from that spirit of mammon. It's a spirit of meanness and tightness. And it doesn't just have to be about money. So I'm going to um, talk about that a little bit more and I want to use a story in the scriptures to illustrate it. Before I do that, I'm going into a rather tedious two minutes because (laughs) maybe I could do a dance or something to make it more exciting. It's kind of tedious because I have to explain something but it underpins where I go to from there. In, um, In the Gospels, a lot of the Gospels are chronological. So this happens and then time-wise the next thing happens and then the next thing happens, right? In the story I'm going to show you, the chronology is broken because Matthew and Mark change things around and they insert in that time frame, they insert another story. The reason they insert the story is to demonstrate why Jesus was betrayed. Now, if we think about the spirit of mammon and we think of Bible characters, there's one person that stands out head above all. If you don't know who it is, one of the disciples. If you don't know who that is, J.I. is his initials. And if you don't know who that is, he sold Jesus out for money. So this story is about Judas Iscariot and what happened to him. I haven't finished the tedious bit yet. So let's go to the next slide. And you'll see, this is just showing you the chronology that is in the scriptures. So, okay, verse 1, the Passover. Verse 2, they're conspiring against Jesus. Verse 3, Satan enters Judas. Verse 4, he betrays Jesus. That's the chronology. What? What happened? Oh, are we having a problem down the back there? Not like, you're not, oh, are you awake? <laughs> yeah. That's your fault? I'm still seeing bears walking across the, okay. I'm always having you go at Iron. he doesn't care. You what? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> after forty. Oh, my oh. <laughs> what is it? Someone tread on it. it and let's deal with the enemy. We got it. Well done. Well, that kind of broke up the tedium. That was good. So you can see that's the chronology that's in the Gospels, right? So now let's go to the next one. I think I'm pretty much finished with the tedium. Uh, You'll see the same story there. So the Passover's coming. They're they're going to plot to kill Jesus. Then there's verse 5. Then we go to verse 14 where Judas betrays Jesus. So both Matthew and Mark follow that pattern. So b- between verse 5 and 14, there's a story. And the story explains why Judas betrayed Jesus. And it has everything to do with the spirit of mammon. Okay. Let's have a look what the story is. So Jesus is in Bethany. And incidentally, this is four days before the beginning of the story there. So four days earlier, he was in Bethany, which is I think only about two or three kilometres from Jerusalem. He's there hanging out in Simon's home. Then it says a woman, we know it's Mary, came to him with an alabaster jar of this expensive perfume. The perfume is an oil extracted from the spikenard plant and it was very, very expensive. It was an oil and it was used for various cosmetics. It was worth a year's salary. So it cost a bit of money. She poured it on Jesus. When the disciples saw it, they were indignant. Why this waste? This perfume could have gone to the poor. We could have sold it and the money would have gone to the poor people. Very good. Let's have a look. I have studied these words. The word indignant. And we would say, I felt quite indignant about that, meaning I was kind of a bit put out. No, this means they were outraged. They were really angry with this girl. They were really mad about this. The word waste is an interesting one. It means this. Financial ruin due to stupidity. It also means utter destruction. It also means being in hell. The spirit of mammon causes excess in language. And in thinking patterns and in emotions. Just think of an argument you've ever had about money. And that might, might be on a very low level. But that's what it does. The spirit of mammon will stir that up, and you can become irrational. Because that is irrational behaviour. And that's what it is it's an overreaction to the event. And, of course, now we have the religious spirit justifying. We could have sold this. I'm sure they didn't say, oh, we could have sold this. It was, they were angry. We could have sold this. Yeah, given it to the poor. After all, Jesus had said to the rich young ruler... Sell everything and give it to the poor. He was always talking about the poor. So the spirit of mammon will enable us to come out with religious talk, justifying our decisions, and they may very well be against everything God is saying to us. But we can justify it if we want to. We're good at it. I, um, reading this, I couldn't help but think about, you know, the story of the prodigal son. So, you know, we have the the young bloke who, you know, he's captured by the spirit of mammon because he shames his father before the community by asking for his money. He's greedy for his money. He goes out and spends and wastes it all. Spirit of mammon functioning right there in his life, comes home. Dad is real happy. The older brother, spirit of mammon grabs him too. He says this, that son of yours, like it's not his brother anymore, that son of yours, he does not deserve this. Look at me, I've been working my guts out and you've done big, fat nothing for me. I deserve it, not him. Of course, none of us here would have ever had thoughts like that. And you see that um, he's, um, the, brother, the older brother is angry, he, he's depressed... He's lost his sense of who he is because the father says, you could have had this any time. You could have had a party if you wanted to. But no, he'd rather cry poor mouth, poor me, self-pity. All those characteristics coming out just in that little story. Because um, when I was preparing this, I said, Lord, can you tell me some things that I've done myself that can illustrate this. Well, I've, here's one. Um, I, I come out pretty good in this one, I must admit. Um, this, a friend of mine asked me to visit someone and pray for her and minister to her and help her, right? So I'm, I'm real happy to do that. Yeah, that's great. And I'm kind of praying about it and I'm kind of a bit excited about, yes, you know, God's going to do something amazing and all that. And about half an hour before I left to drive to her house, which was about maybe 20 minutes from my house, a friend of ours called in and he was upset. Anyway, he's talking and he's saying all this stuff and he talked about a couple and the woman said this and did this and suddenly as he's talking I'm thinking, he's talking about the girl... I'm going to go and pray for. And my first thought was she doesn't deserve for me to go there because she's hurt my friend who's got the softest heart. So I was kind of a bit outraged and I didn't want to go. But because I'm just such an amazing Christian, I went. Now, I would love to tell you this story that I went and I prayed and... You know, all this stuff happened. But actually I went there and knocked on the door and her her sister came to the door and said, oh, she doesn't, you know, she doesn't want to see you. And, oh, all right. So I could have had a bit more ammunition there if I would wanted to, but actually I kind of thought it was funny um, that I did all that. (laughs) Anyway, God speaks to you. (laughs) God speaks to you in those moments. Yeah? He does indeed. Yeah, okay, I won't go on with that anymore. (laughs) You can draw your own conclusions. Let's have a look at this one in Matthew 14. Some of those present were saying indignantly. There's the word indignant, same Greek word, the same waste word. It's all happening. It could have been sold. There we go. A year's salary and money given to the poor. They rebuked her harshly. That's something that Matthew didn't say that Mark says. How they devalued her, they demeaned her, they roused on her, they were angry with her, they made her feel sad and stupid for what she did. The interesting thing, I think, about this one is, if you read verse 4, they're all... It's spreading. Did you see her... She just kind of tipped that, that's expensive oil. Yeah, we could have given that. We could have sold that and given, (gasps) I never thought, yeah, we could have. And before you know, everyone's kind of on the bandwagon. And, you know, what I want to say about that is um, meanness attracts meanness. A spirit of meanness will attract meanness. And it can work in lots of ways. Not just the way I just said then. Like when my children were little, there was a girl in our church. She had little kids. So we hung out a bit together. She was mean. I mean tight-fisted, stingy. And what I found is when I was with her... That I was like that too. And I remember, I'll just remember this now. We're at a church picnic and some drink company must have put out bottles that you could take back. So everyone was sort of drinking this well, lemonade or whatever it was. And the little kids were going around collecting the bottles because you got like one or maybe two cents back on your bottle. And when they came to her, she wouldn't give them the three or four bottles she had. She said, no, there, I'm going to, you know, get the deposit back myself. And I remember thinking, I wonder if I should keep mine too. I mean, we're talking about eight cents here. (laughs) You know, I got a shock that I even thought that. But I found when I was with her, I did not want to give. I didn't want to give to her because she would not give to me, or anybody else for that matter. So meanness attracts meanness. It's the spirit of Mammon. we've all experienced it. I, um, I, I've got two stories to tell you, and they're both about 40 dollars. Like this is like, God help me come up with a story. So uh, a true story, not a made-up story. <laughs> Two true, true, true stories. Um, I was um, going to TAFE and I was, you know, in a class and there were about 20 of us in this class and there was a lady there about my age. We, our kids were, you know, in primary school at the time and I knew that she was a Christian because I'd overheard her say something or other to someone else. So at morning tea time, this is about week three into the course we're all sitting around talking, and she sits next to me. And she says, You know, we're just talking for a while. And then she says, um, Cheryl, you know, are you married? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you've got kids, yeah, I've got three kids. She said, Would you say you're happily married? And I went, Yeah, I'd say that. A bomb went off. And she, not a real bomb, um, <laughs> a mouth bomb went off. And she started yelling at me and saying, Oh, yes, the next question... Oh, after, are you happy? And I said, yes, yes. She said, well, I want to tell you... And she's shouting, like everyone's paying attention. I want to tell you. You are stupid if you think that about your husband... ...because my husband left me and I thought we were happily married... ...and I thought he loved me and he's gone... ...and he's gone off with another woman and that's going to happen to you. And like, she was screaming at me and I'm like, help... You know, and the whole room went quiet and still, as you can imagine. And she said a few other things and stormed out of the room and the rest of us, it was about ten of us sitting there, we were just kind of gasping, like, what was that about? And it really distressed me because I knew she was a Christian and people started saying stuff to me. Oh, how dare she say And I'm trying to fob them off because I didn't want to say anything against her. I wanted to kill her, but I didn't want to say anything about her. So, anyway, I came home, and, of course, I'm in anguish, trying to work this through, and I just said, God, I don't know what I did, and I don't know what to do. And, you know, really, as clearly as anything, God said this to me. Put $40 in an envelope, give it to her, and tell her it's from me, like from God, right? Now, let me just say... $40 for us then was like our grocery money. We ate a lot of sausages that week and mincemeat, more than normal. So I did that and I was scared to give her the envelope. So I kind of tried to be a bit strategic about it and wait until she was kind of talking to people and kind of slip in. (laughs) Oh, hello, you know. God has told me just to give you this again. And she's like... She was cranky. She was cranky with me. I don't know why. I still don't know why. Anyway, she pulled it. And I left. And uh, I don't know whether she opened it then or later. But the next day, she came in. She's hugging me. She's kissing me. And she's my best friend. And... Uh, okay. <laughs> that was good. This is what I learned Giving... ...is not always about money. It's about... Because at that time in my life... ...God was dealing with me with finances... ...mainly because we had none. So, you know, all those things I read to you... ...I'm going through all those things. It's not fair. If I had money, I'd be amazing. You know, I'm poor. Everyone else is rich. Like, I'm going through some of that stuff. And then God tells me to give $40 away... ...our food money... I learned, obey God. It doesn't have to make sense. And God will use that to release you in other areas of your life that have nothing to do with money. Next story, another $40 story, a few months later. A new pastor came to our church. We belonged to a fairly big church and there are half a dozen pastors, and a new one came. I couldn't stand him. Oh, he drove me nuts. So when he was speaking, I'm like, can you shut up? You know, you're talking a a bunch of dribble and I don't know why. I just didn't like him. I had no logical reason to dislike this guy. But everything he said, I was like, I don't think that can't be right. Where's that scripture? You know, all that stuff. And the worst was when he would talk... He would frequently kind of laugh and there was nothing funny and I would be thinking, why are you laughing? You're an idiot. You know, the, honestly, these are the thoughts going through my mind. Like, I thought he was a twit. Anyway, I was really upset about feeling that way. I mean, that's not nice. Let's face it. It's not nice. So I'm praying and I'm saying, God, I don't know what to do. Okay, put $40 in an envelope and give to him. Now, he was kind of earning twice as much money. This has nothing to do with money, okay? I give him the money and he was kind of, oh, yeah, thanks, you know. And um, it was maybe a couple of days later, I was just saying to God, why did I give him the money? I don't feel any different. I still think he's a twit, you know. Anyway, God spoke to me as clearly as anything because at that time in my life, I was really struggling with my father, who had left my mother, run away with another woman, and had told numerous lies, and there was a whole heap of emotional stuff going on for me at that time. This man. (laughs) had my father's laugh, my father's tone in talking. So when he got up and spoke, I didn't... This is all unconscious. I'm kind of laying on him all the projected confusion, depression and anger that I had for my father. And God released me just like that. When God tells you to give give. You don't have to analyse it. You don't have to understand it. You just have to obey. Let's keep going with this. Now, John is the one who talks about Judas Iscariot. J.I. as he's known. Now, my little Theory can't prove it you can say I don't agree and you can disagree with me and not think I'm a twit I'm happy with that I think Judas Iscariot started the rumour I think he started it and the reasons in verse 6 he didn't say this because he cared about the poor but because he was a thief As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. I think he was the first one to say it. Then they all started, it all spread, mean, attracts mean, and away it went till they're all screaming and yelling at this poor woman. Judas is the account keeper. He keeps the books. He's a bookkeeper. And... um, That's what we do too. We have our own little accounting system and it goes like this. I've invited them over five times for dinner and they have never invited me back. I've minded their children four times and they've minded my children three times, so I'm not going to mind their children again until they mind mine again because that will make it even. It's the accounting system that we have in our head where we think we give this ...and someone should reciprocate. Whereas Jesus says, just give. Let me tell you about my first accounting experience... ...and I know Kevin and Amy have heard this story. It's embarrassing, but it's also funny. When I became a Christian, um, like, I was 18 years old... ...and we never talked about God in our house. A non-Christian home... The only time I heard Jesus Christ was when my father was swearing, okay? So I knew nothing really about God. I get saved. I'm going to the Anglican church and someone starts talking about tithing. And someone, um, you know, like the youth leader saying it, the preacher from the front saying it. And I'm thinking, what? That. At the time, I was on a scholarship. My parents couldn't afford to support me so I was on a scholarship. And the idea of giving 10% of that away was just horrific to me. But here I am hearing it and there's something about that resonating, there's a truth to that. So I've got these two themes going on. One is I want to obey God and I want to do the right thing because I'm a Christian now and I want to do it well. The other thing is what rubbish. Why would I give 10% of that money away? Because, oh, I have nothing if I give that away. I won't be able to make ends meet. So I've got this conflict going on. This is how I got around it. This is my accounting system. And let me just say it was more like cooking the books than keeping the books. Um, So just say, I, uh, you know, if I tithed for argument's sake, let's say it was $10 a week that I had to give to God. I never thought about... Giving to the church, I always in my mind I was giving it to God. So, what I did to make the accounts work the way I wanted them to work was I had this kind of like big umbrella with the heading God, and I would put lots of things under that umbrella, like if I got the bus to church, that came out of the $10. If I bought a coffee and drank it with Christian friends that came out of the $10. If I bought a book and it had God in it somewhere that came out of the $10. So you can see some weeks I actually might have spent $15. Now I'm hand on heart this is the truth when it went over, the thought that came in my mind was, God owes me $5. <laughs> I mean, that is so embarrassing, but that's honestly what I thought. And because I'm cooking the books, you know, if something was like $2.75, I kind of, well, I'll just round it off to 3 But if it was... Two dollars and five cents, I wouldn't round it off to two. No, two dollars and five cents. That part had to be accurate. So I learnt, you know, like you can see God had a lot of work to do with me in this area. And like I said, I'm not where I was, but I'm not where I want to be. It's a work in progress and I just thank God for his grace. And I think all those times when I said, "You know, God, you owe me money. You owe me three dollars this week," or, um, and the other thing was, I always made. I didn't carry over. It was the other way around. Like if I spent eight, well, you know, I just give myself a gift of two dollars, and then I could just go back to the ten the next week. It's called cooking the books. Okay, keeping the accounts. The way I want to keep them. I'm sure none of you would ever dream of doing anything like that. So let's look at um, this interaction where Jesus is talking to the, the um, Jewish people. Look at the Pharisees, their reaction when, God, when Jesus says you can't serve God and mammon, look at their reaction. They loved their wealth. They loved money. It was one of their passions. And they sneered at Jesus. A spirit of mammon, sneering, cynicism, criticism. And then you see Jesus said, you know, you justify yourself. We can always find a way to justify not giving. And I'm not just talking about finance, I'm talking about anything. We can always find a way to justify not doing what's in our heart that God's telling us to do. What was Jesus' reaction? Jesus said, leave her alone. Leave her alone. And he says, why are you bothering her? That word means demeaning her, devaluing her. She has done a beautiful thing to me in the context of the word beautiful is bringing comfort to his soul. And you just think about it in, you know, four or five days Jesus is hanging on the cross. He predicts it there in verse 8. Preparing, she's prepared me for my burial. And I believe this was like a gift from Father God to his son. To give him comfort and solace in a time of moving into deep pain, depression, every negative human emotion that he was going to experience. The actual Greek words for leave her alone are let it go. And I think that's a catchphrase for today, it's certainly something that I say, if I find I'm getting a bit wound up over things like this, I just say to myself, Cheryl, let it go. Just do it. Just give it. Just do it. Just let it go. So some of those things that I read at the beginning, the thoughts that come in about they don't deserve it, the thoughts that come in about, well, they're rich, they should do it, they've got more, they all of those things, the... Ju- the, the Self righteous justifications for all these things. It's let it go. Just give it. If you want, if, if you're going to give, just give it. Just give it away. Someone hits you on the face, you hand the other check. You I ask for your co- coat, give him your cloak also, or whatever that says, something like that. We're meant to be generous people because we live in the kingdom of God. Our eyes are not meant to be dark. We're meant to see the light of the kingdom. That kingdom is a kingdom where God rules and he will provide everything, everything we need if we trust him and rely on him because that's who he is. That's his nature. So let's just close our eyes and Jesus we just um, come before you and Jesus as we've been sharing this afternoon is there anything in our lives that we can bring to you now? Jesus if there is will you tell us now? Jesus, we repent of that kind of hardness that can come into our hearts. And Jesus, we say to you, we want to let it go. We just let those things go and we just embrace the kingdom. We say, Father God, we trust you to provide for us. We want to be people who trust in you, and we stand against that spirit of mammon that would steal our joy, would hinder us from moving into our full calling in you, the purpose, Father, that you have laid out for our lives. We let it go. In, In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, have a nice time and um, next week and Al and I will see you in a few weeks. We will be older because we will have been married for 50 years when I come back. Thank you. <laughs> Dinner in the hall. Yes, be generous, be generous. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central.